welcome to Healthy Perspectives with Jeremiah, a podcast that brings you current social and cultural issues through a clinical lens. Hello, hello. All right. Uh, welcome to Healthy Perspectives. For those of you who are brand new, I appreciate you joining us. Please like and subscribe if you enjoy any of this podcast. Today, I am going to start a, a segment that I've, I've been I've been kind of leaning toward over the last few weeks. I'm getting more questions. Uh, and so I, I, I'm starting to, to put together this idea of questions for Jeremiah. And what would that look like? Because obviously anonymity is a really important factor. I want to make sure that nobody could single themselves out. I get questions in a lot of different forums. I get, you know, everything from, you know, the questions on Twitter that have to do with, you know, maybe some social cultural issues uh, that may lean toward political stuff. I get questions on, uh, you know, clinical content, things that might be DSM, uh, diagnostic statistics manual oriented. Uh, so I get, I just get this wide array. I get other uh, counselors and professionals, uh, licensed clinical social workers and whatnot that ask me questions as well. And so I'm trying to format exactly how it's going to go down. But today I got a question that has come in many different areas and in many different ways. And I am going to present it uh, in, in a more generic way sense today. The question is this. This is the question I'm going to attempt to, to uh, navigate during today's podcast. The question goes along these lines. My partner and I are having troubles in our sex life. What should we look at fixing? So what in our relationship or in our sex life should we look at fixing? Now I'm gonna I'm gonna answer a couple of the uh, the the early points right away. Uh, just get them out of the way because to be honest, I know many of you out there in podcast land are probably thinking, "Oh boy, here we go, the sex talk." Uh, well, yes. Absolutely. 100%. I don't dodge any aspect of this conversation, whether I'm in session or whether I'm on a social platform or whether I'm here with you on this podcast. But let me be abundantly clear. Most sexual issues have very, very little to do or maybe even nothing to do with sex at all. Most people enjoy sex just fine. Now, Yes, there are things that are more pleasurable than other things, and that is for you and your partner to figure out. But at the end of the day, very few people think of it like, uh, you know, say you, if you know somebody who likes golf or likes to go to the soccer game uh, or, you know, likes to go sit down and have a really fine, you know, cuisine kind of meal, even if it's not perfect. Usually people walk away from those things saying, well, it's better than a lot of the other things I could have done with that time. Well, sex is just like that. It's, it's good on, on a, a general basis and occasionally it's fan flipping tastic. All right. So overall, the experience would be considered by most people to be a good experience. Now, why do I get that out of the way? 
because there are only a few things that make sex a bad experience. And I'm going to highlight those before I get into answering that original question of what should we look at fixing? Okay. So things that could make sex bad. Number one, it's at the top of the list. It's always at the top of the list. And that is selfishness. Selfishness comes in a lot of different shades though. So, you know, for instance, it could be something as simple as going for too long or not long enough. Now, typically, let me just dispel a myth here. Uh, typically, it's going too long that's more problematic than not going long enough. All right. Now, there are some people who could just go and go and go. They are like the energizer bunnies. They just they never stop. But generally speaking, there is a time limit from the time you begin to the time you end. And if you don't know your partner's time limit, their, their liking in that particular area, you probably better ask because chances are, are one of y'all is being selfish and the other one is being selfless. All right. It's also going to be things like painful sex is generally not a thing that people strive toward. Now there are some, some masochistic be, uh, sexual behaviors that people do find pleasure in. Unfortunately, from a clinical lens, I got to tell you, uh, I would say the vast majority of people who experience pleasurable, uh, painful sex are people who have been harmed in the past. And so it's a, a coping mechanism as much as anything, but it does build pleasurable uh, tendencies. Um, just giving you the, the real information, the real scoop here. Okay. Broken boundaries falls into that selfishness category. If somebody says, Hey, this particular sexual behavior is off limits, then it's off limits. All right. If that's something you need to have, then that means you need a different partner. And that means, you know, you should break it off with that relationship because what you're going to do is harm them. And that is not something that is uh, a good. It creates bad sexual experiences. Uh, consent issues. Absolutely create bad sexual experiences. That would be from sex uh, that is in the form of molestation, rape, that is, uh, you know, the, uh, the inability to consent, whether that be under the influence, that can create bad sexual experiences. Now, even if they can't remember the sex at all, they can walk away with a trauma around that sexual experience because the boundaries we're broken. What are the boundaries? Go watch the, uh, the, the consent is like a, a, a tea that there's a video on that. It's fantastic. I've probably even done it in here in the last, you know, six months or a year. It is, it is a fantastic video, but it essentially says you don't, if you don't have direct consent, then assume you don't have consent at all. That's the best, safest default. Okay. So if this is the short list for bad sex, because that was it, like there's really not much complexity beyond that. It's selfishness. And then, uh, uh, which I defined, Oh, there's one more. Got to hit it. Extreme levels of adventurousness. In other words, if something that you want can create a, a relational discomfort, it can become 
problematic and potentially lead to bad sex. But remember that falls into that boundaries category too. So if you're not establishing boundaries or if you're not respecting boundaries. So keep that in mind. Uh, sorry, that was a little, a little different. Like sometimes it's things like PDA, uh, you know, somebody's on their period and they, they're not comfortable with it. Or, you know, you, you may want to do something that's more public in nature than they are comfortable with. Um, you know, maybe they don't want to be out in the wilderness doing it because they're afraid of something like spiders. Uh, and so that could create that discomfort. So just keep that in mind too. Again, that comes back to that selfishness category, but I wanted to highlight it because extreme adventurousness can cause some discomforts that we don't anticipate until we are in it. All right. So, uh, all right, moving on. If this is the bad list, then what makes good sex or what should we look at fixing? All right. Cause we want to make good sex. We've got to make, we've got to fix those things that aren't good. I'm going to tell you the areas that routinely come up in the clinical world. All right, number number one above all else. Matter of fact, so important, I didn't even give it a number because it is the standard and the expectation. Above everything else, safety. Things like having to worry about disease can cause discomfort. Uh, things that are are, are are in the lines of emotional safety, physical safety, uh, environmental safety relational safety, any safety concern is going to inhibit your ability to have good, healthy, wonderful, amazing sex. So safety. Now, what, when I break it down categorically, number one, then, because safety is a, is an umbrella. It's over all of these things. Number one thing is communication. Poor communication is the number one thing that, that comes up in clinical work. I got a couple sitting in front of me and they inevitably, like almost 100% of the time when it comes to couples work, we end up addressing sex at some point. Why? Because of this little factoid right here for you. It is 10% of the relationship until it's not going right. And then it's 90% of the focus. That's the way it works. I don't know why it works that way, but I heard that early in my career from somebody who was very wise. And you know, she, she, she just said that that's just the way it comes out in couples work. It's 10% of the relationship. It's not a significant portion of the relationship until it's not working well. Why? Because it points to all these things. When it comes to communication, we're talking about relational communication, number one. And then we're talking about the biology number two, right? We could figure out how to match up with a partner physically if we're communicating. But if communication is not extended, good communication, healthy communication, loving and kind and caring communication does not extend into the relationship, it's going to cause communication issues even within the sexual relationship. It just does. So, Make sure that the communication is not just about sex. It has to be about things like, what do you want to eat? It has to be about things like, you know, how would you raise the children? Uh, you know, do we want to have children? It could be anything that's communication related that can cause issues sexually. Okay, number two, libido awareness. 
You have to be aware of your libido, your sex drive, and their sex drive, right? If your partner is a once a month person, that's their drive. And you're a once a day person. You are going to have to figure out ways to do more than once a month, but probably significantly less than once a day. That's reality. Knowing your libido, knowing your drive, knowing their drive. Now, if you don't know what their wishes and desires would be in terms of frequency, you're missing something big. That's a problem. And you probably need to address it. Okay. It means also that both of you will have to sacrifice, compromise, and adjust. It's just the way it's going to have to be. So figure that part out. If they're a once a month and you're a once a day, you're going to have to come up with something, maybe once a week. It's much less than the one once, and it's much more than the other once. And every time it happens, know that both of you are sacrificing. Okay. Number three, foreplay. Yep. Got to put this in there. Why? Because in the clinical work that I do, it inevitably becomes part of the topic. Why? Because foreplay for most men on this planet is a, you know, a, 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 a woman that is naked. Yep. That's foreplay for most men on this planet. A woman gets naked. That sends a very clear message to the man. And the man is like, okay, let's do this thing within a minute, two minutes. That's just the way it works for most men on the planet. But foreplay for women, because they are not all, not even close to all, the vast majority of them are not visually stimulated. They're narratively stimulated. And as a result, what that means is most women need you to start flirting early in the day and it needs to build a narrative that leads them to the bed or whatever or whatever it is that you're going to do later. They're building a fantasy. The, the vast majority of women, the vast majority, build a narrative fantasy. Uh, think about it like this. Men are the main consumers of pornography. It's because of that visual stimulation. Women are the main consumers of romance novels. It's because of that narrative stimulant. Okay? That, that is porn for women. Whether they want to admit it or not, that is what it is. They are creating a sexual fantasy in their mind. All right, number four. Oh, by the way, I'm going to come back to that porn thing here in a, in a few. And I will address both the men version and the women version. Number four, stress relief. This is not about sex as a stress relief. It is a stress for relief for many people. But that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is each individual within the relationship has to have mechanisms in place to relieve the outside stress, whether that's work, uh, whether that's a commute, there has to be a way of relieving the stress from those other things that are external. 
being around the kids, uh, being uh, objectified, uh, because every woman who has a child uh, ends up learning this weird phenomenon that their body is there for their children after birth. You know, they feed them with their body. They cuddle them and comfort them with their body. They rock them with their body. Like it's their body, their body, their body. And so stress relief. There has to be mechanisms. Now that requires each of you to do your individual work if you're with a partner. You cannot expect that your partner is going to do that stress relief for you. If you're waiting for that to happen, you are setting the relationship up to fail. You have to do your work to relieve your stress so that when you're with your partner, you can create an environment and a safe relational experience that is already relieved of that stress. Okay? That could be yoga, running, gardening, hitting the gym, going for a swim. It could be skiing or snowboarding on the mountain. There's a, there's a, it could be reading a good book. There's a lot of ways to enter that relief of stress mode. Okay. That could be mindful practices, deep breaths. It could be physical relaxation techniques, all kinds of stuff. All right. Number five. Confidence. You got to look at this area if you want to have better sexual relations with your partner. You have to. It's not an option. Because if you enter the sexual arena with poor confidence, it harms the experience. So we have to look at it. It doesn't make it bad sex, but it definitely makes it average, mediocre, good not great because you come in with baggage. You got to check that baggage at the door. You got to come in with confidence and you got to rock their world. Now that's the way that it works. Now, how do we do that work? That's more complicated. That's identity work. You want to raise confidence. You have to do some identity work. You have to look at who you were, who you are, who you want to be. You have to accept your strengths and your weaknesses as just part of the story that you are writing. Your story is imperfect. It cannot be perfect. And that is wonderful. Beautiful mess. You got to accept that that's what your life is, is a beautiful mess at times. And then you will exude confidence. Part of exuding confidence is resolving anxiety, resolving past traumas, It's if you're entering a state of depression that you do the things that you know will work. Eat, sleep, exercise well. That's how you build confidence. Now, this is a very simplistic version right now. So just understand there's a lot more to that category, but you have the responsibility of doing that work. And if you're waiting for your partner to do that work for you, The best case scenario, you will become codependent and that is not healthy. Okay. Number six, and I'm just putting this out there as a a catch all. You got to have functional parts. And if you don't, you got to, you got to compromise in a way that allows you to use other parts as functional. 
Okay. Now, some people, let's say, uh, you know, uh, a, 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 a man, let's say, has the inability to uh, keep an, a, a, uh, an erection for more than two or three minutes. That can happen to men. What is it that you do following that? That's important. Or maybe even more important, what could you sacrifice leading up to so that at the end, there's a satisfaction that is togetherness, right? Functional parts, if you, if you have parts that are not functional, there's ways to compromise and to work through that. But it is a critical part of the safety process. It creates a physical safety, right? Uh, if, if a woman is unable to naturally lubricate, there may be need to get some assistance. Don't be shy about that stuff. Functional parts matters. Painful sex is part of the bad sex, remember? For most people, at least, unless you're a little masochistic. Okay, I do want to address one side note. This is, I told you I was going to come back to this, and that is pornography. There's two types of pornography. There's porn for men, typically. All right, now I'm giving you the general statistics, right? 90% of men are visually stimulated. So 90% of the men would go to visual pornography, whether that be picture, video, stuff like that. Well, with access now being what it is, I want to highlight a few of the challenges that come with it, as well as the challenges that come with women's porn, which is, as we just talked about a few minutes ago, romance novels, things like that, those narrative stimulant uh, activities. Now, that is, by the way, very different than creating a narrative stimulant of role-playing. Some, uh, some women really get into role-playing because it creates that narrative stimulant, that romance novel type effect. Uh, that's not the same. It's just like, it's not the same if a man looks at their partner and is like in awe and is really turned on. That's not the same as pornography. So pornography is the objectification of a partner that is not your partner, right? That is the idea behind pornography. If you're simply looking at and are turned on by your own partner, or you are role-playing with your own partner, that's not pornography. It's a totally different experience, okay? So what is the problem with porn? I did a little bit of uh, just updating my research before this because I wanted to knock this part out of the park. When it comes to communication, pornography creates an avenue for lies, secrets, and deceptions. Were you thinking about me while you were doing this? Uh, uh, yeah, of course. When in fact you were thinking about the porn you watched, lies, secrets, and deceptions. You see how it sneaks in there, causes relational problems. The same is true whether it's men's porn or women's porn. Okay, libido changes. Pornography factually changes libido. It changes your sex drive. Now, if you absolutely do no pornographic use and you do not engage in any sexual release, eventually your mind and body will do so through dreaming. So those of you who are saying, oh, I need the release, your body will naturally do that. 
at some point. All right. How does how does porn work on foreplay? Now, for some of you, you're probably out there going, it gives me great ideas for foreplay. What it really does is it reduces the need for foreplay, which actually has the effect of making you selfish. All right. Uh, your need, your need is reduced and your desire to fulfill the other's fantasy diminishes. It goes down because you're caught up fulfilling your own fantasy, whether you're a man or a woman. How about stress relief? Now, some people argue this, that pornography is a great relief of stress. When in fact, what it does relationally, now biologically, you can make that argument. That, that is a biological argument you could make. But what it does for the relationship, you cannot make that argument because it induces stress. It induces it because it creates comparisons. Are you comparing me to the main character in your novel? Are you comparing me to the person you saw in that video? Are my hips bigger, smaller? Is my tummy a little pudgy? You start asking all these questions and now all of a sudden we've got confidence and identity issues in the relationship. Which brings us to the next one, which is confidence. When we use pornography, what we are doing is we are reducing our own confidence to engage with a partner in a way that is going to turn them on. And then we believe we are just waiting until the moons align and they want me at the same time that I want them. Well, let's be real. That doesn't create additional sexual drive. What that does is it, it patiently waits. What it's actually doing, it's not patiently waiting. It's putting off the desire to become more pleasing to your partner. And that's problematic. So when I go back and I look at this question, what should we look at fixing? I went over communication, libido awareness, foreplay, stress relief, confidence, functional parts. And then I highlighted one side note, and that was pornography. You got to cut out the pornography. You want to increase your libido, your foreplay abilities, your stress relief. You got, you got to cut that out. It's, it's a no-brainer when we look at the data, when we look at the research. It's a no-brainer. We are having less intimacy now with more porn than we've ever had access to in our human history. I hope this was helpful with this questions for Jeremiah section. Please Feel free to send me more questions. You can email them. You can put them on social media at different sites. Send them to me. Um, you know, a lot of people want to email them because they're, you know, they're confidential in nature. They, they want to tell me more of the story. If I answer one of your questions in here, well, chances are it could be you or a thousand other people who would communicate these things with me. So thank you for your communications. Please send them my way. I do make an effort to respond to every single communication. If nothing else, I try to say, Hey, thanks. I appreciate the communication. All right. So feel free to send me questions. If you think this was a good segment, let's create more of them, but that's going to require your participation. I hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Take a look at the details of our podcast for links to our website and other helpful information. 